and was getting to read all of this research documenting the effects of being in greenery, being in forests, being in waterscapes. When we pursue awe, it takes us in new directions away from self-focus toward healthier relations to the natural environment. These were a special group of patients, people who shun the shelters and live in makeshift quarters or just plain old outside. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet health psychologist Alyssa Eppel, professor of psychology Dacher Keltner, and Pulitzer Prize-winning author Tracy Kidder. Listen in to learn about the science behind awe, how we can embrace stress, and the real-life story about a small group of people changing lives. Enjoy! Hi, this is Alyssa Eppel, author of The Stress Prescription, Seven Days to More Joy and Ease. I wrote this book because too often we live under a veil of daily chronic stress, and it pretty much dampens everything. It dampens our ability to feel joy and ease and connect with people and live a good life. I'm no stranger to that. I've spent years of my life waking up with daily stress, going through my day in a rush, not being able to sleep well. There's so much more freedom we have, even when life is crazy, to live our day with spaciousness, to not let stress be the driving force in our day. So I hope to show that to people, to give them some tools to help them awaken to their inner life and have more control over that because we have so little control over the external world. I'm in love with research. We know so much about the mind, about stress, about emotions, and that inspires me. And I want to show people how we can use that knowledge for good in our personal lives. So bringing the research out into the daylight to be practical, that is what inspired me to write this book. The process of writing the book was truly delightful because it gave me license and, in fact, mandate to really learn new areas or update myself or go deep in areas. And my favorite chapter to write was chapter five about nature. I feel like I just discovered nature as I was writing the book. It was during the pandemic, and the effect of being in nature was so potent for me and everyone. And then I was getting to read all of this research documenting the effects of being in greenery, being in forests, being in waterscapes, and how that affects our brain, our cognition, our body. So it was just this deepening, passionate relationship with being in nature. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fun. It definitely takes a lot of glucose to read all day, so it is tiring. But for me, it was absolutely exhilarating. It was fun. When I heard other people talk about how draining and hard it was, I dreaded it. But then I was delighted to find that I couldn't wait to get into that sound booth with my team and just go for it. 
my director kept me focused on the meaning of the words and the experience of the words. So I wasn't just reading, I was feeling. And at one point when I got to climb it, I realized how in touch I was with the words because I could barely talk because I was crying because I feel so deeply about climate. So it just made me realize I really did try to be present with the messages I was sharing. I realized I had trouble pronouncing the word environment. <laughs> Even now, environment. I mean, the truth is, sometimes I pronounce things in a really funny way. My husband calls me Natasha, the Russian spy. Words that I say a lot all of a sudden become a tongue twister, like the cellular biology of deep rest. I had to say that a couple of times. I was proud that I was able to use my own voice. As a researcher, I'm usually invisible in the lab or behind papers. The pandemic has made us realize how important being in person is. It's a privilege, it's a joy, it's so satisfying. Most of what we do now is trying to do studies remotely, even our interventions. We know the biggest way to have impact including the least carbon impact, is using digital media, web platforms, interventions on our phone. And it's an important direction, but there's a loss with that. There's the loss of in-person human contact. I'm really excited for listeners to look inward. I hope the book guides them to shine the light on their own stress habits. We all have habits of mind. And some of them are universal. When people realize that they're not alone, they're not the only ones feeling stressed out this way or having imposter complex, that can be a tremendous relief. The last audiobook I listened to was Ministry for the Future. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was like a play with multiple voice actors and actresses. It was nonfiction fiction, and I couldn't stop listening. I love to be outside walking. I love listening while I'm walking the dogs on a woodsy path. And I can't believe how lucky I am. I'm in nature, I'm getting joy from seeing my dogs play, and I'm just being delighted by the latest book, usually nonfiction, trying to catch up on all of the big thinkers that I don't have time to read. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Would you like to live in a world with no stress? Picture it. No worry, no anxiety, no pressure. Sound nice? Maybe for a moment. But stress is woven into our experience of life so deeply, so essentially, that entangling it from life itself is impossible. As tough as stress can be to cope with sometimes, we would be a lot worse off without it. Hi, this is Dacher Keltner, author of Awe. I wrote my book because there is an incredible science of awe that I think reveals really unexpected truths about human nature, and I, I wrote it because in teaching human happiness for 30 years, I think that we are at a something of a crisis culturally, a crisis of narcissism and self-focus and 
biological inflammation. And I think that when we pursue awe, it takes us in new directions away from self-focus toward healthy bodies and towards healthier relations to the natural environment, which we dearly need today. I also wrote the book because I was at a particular phase of life, having lost my younger brother, Rolf, where I really needed to find meaning. And the search for meaning is part of living. It becomes acute when you lose people you really love. And I had had a brotherhood of awe with Rolf and with his passing, needed to find new sources of awe. And so I went on a very unusual journey for a laboratory scientist, getting out into the world and interviewing people to really uncover stories of awe that would guide me towards the rediscovery of the emotion. I was inspired by the opportunity to weave together science, which is what I do, the science of emotion and vocalization and facial expression and neurophysiology and morality with the humanities and, you know, stories of awe and poetry and film and music and really to try to bring those together in this book. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be transporting. Why? Because awe transports us to new spaces of the imagination and new forms of consciousness that are not so self-focused. And also because I hadn't really read awe in a while, and so reading it again transported me to not only the science that it profiles, but the stories of the people who I was privileged to interview, like Yumi Kendall and Urias Leadwin, who are prominent in awe. I had trouble pronouncing, or just getting it right, and I hope I did, the names of people I interviewed who come from many different cultures with different phonetics than what I was raised on. I had trouble pronouncing Jalapa, <laughs> a town where Juji Morales comes from, I think. I could, I could keep going. I'm really proud that I feel like in conveying the stories of awe that I gathered from 26 different cultures, that I gathered from remarkable people whom I interviewed for this book, that people wrote in their own scholarship, like William James, I am proud that I think I was able to shift from the tones required to talk about science to the tones that are needed to convey first-person narratives like those, and I hope that came through. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Robert Hass, the Berkeley poet who is featured in the book, who actually does an awe narrative, and his voice is awesome. I would cast Dr. Urias Salidwin of the United Nations, who's a character in, in this book, and her voice is awesome. I would cast Iggy Pop, whose voice I love. If I had to get professional voices to read my voice as well, Meryl Streep's voice is spectacular. It'd be funny to hear Christopher Walken do it. <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. 
The last time the word awe hit me with a force of personal epiphany, I was 27 years old. I was in Paul Ekman's living room, having just interviewed for a fellowship in his lab to study emotion. Ekman is well known for his study of facial expression and a founding figure in the new science of emotion. At the conclusion of his querying, we moved to the deck off his home in the San Francisco Hills. We were embraced by a view of the city. Thick fog moved through the streets toward the Bay Bridge and eventually across the bay to Berkeley. Hi, this is Tracy Kidder, author of Rough Sleepers. I wrote my book because of a chance encounter, which has often been the case of books of mine. I was writing a book about an entrepreneur in Boston, one of the founders of Kayak.com, a man named Paul English. He had gotten very interested in homelessness in the city, and he wanted to donate some money, but he had an interesting idea about charity, which was find people whom you can trust and give them the money and let them use it however they think is you know, the right way, which is, I think, pretty enlightened, although I don't think we ought to run the country on the basis of charity. Nevertheless, I went with him on a nighttime ride on what's called the Outreach Van, which goes out of Boston's largest homeless shelter every night of the week. Actually, there are two of them that go out. And on the van that night, as he had been for decades, was a founding physician of a really extraordinary organization called the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program. The doctor is a man named Jim O'Connell, who was pushing 70 by then, but still very vigorous. And what struck me was we kept visiting these homeless people in their own places, their virtual homes, park benches or ATM parlors or alleyways, doorways. Sometimes there'd be a tent on the outskirts of a city. And these were a special group of patients for this doctor, people who shun the shelters and live in makeshift quarters or just plain old outside. They're referred to, the doctor liked to refer to them anyway, as rough sleepers. This is the term generally used in Britain for homeless people. It has an incredibly long lineage, I gather. I think in the Aeneid, there's a reference to soldiers sleeping rough. In any case, I like the term, and so I made it my title. I was really inspired to do this because of the warmth between this doctor and these patients. The first story I tell in my book seems to me emblematic of the whole thing, a pile of blankets on an old loading dock. And the driver of the van, nice guy, goes up to the blankets and says, you know, we're here to do a wellness check just to the pile of blankets. And the blankets answered back, swearing at him, basically, and telling him to get away. And then the doctor came up and said, hey, he called him by his name, and he said, hey, it's Jim O'Connell. I just want to make sure you're all right. I haven't seen you in a long time. And the blankets just erupted, and this bright face popped out, and then they just started talking. Every single encounter, they were all extremely warm, the way they greeted this doctor. And I was puzzled a little bit. I was charmed by it. And I remember thinking, I'd like to be writing about you one of these days. I typically write about people who interested me. But of course, once I get interested in that person or that group of people, I become interested in the things that preoccupy them, the subjects. Clearly, this is an important subject, homelessness in America, emblematic of many, many of our social problems. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be exhausting. 
just because it you know went on for this is the fourth day I've been doing it. I must say I was doing it with charming people, and it really wasn't a strain. It's just a strain for me. I was fairly pleased doing it. You know, sometimes I've tried to avoid reading over things that I wrote in the past because typically only two things can happen, and both of them are bad. Either I read a line and I say, gee, did I used to write that well? Or much worse than that, how could I possibly have let that go? (laughs) The last audio book that I listened to that I'm not sure loved, but that I liked quite a bit was something called A Very Expensive Poison, which was about the murder by Putin, I guess, of a man named Litvinenko in England. It was a very exciting story, very interesting and creepy. I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving. This project took me five years, this project on rough sleepers, and I drove to and from my home in western Massachusetts to Boston many times, and it was nice to have a book to listen to. Mostly, though, I, I like to read myself, and I like to read aloud. My mother read aloud to me and my brothers when we were little for a number of years, and I've, of course, read aloud to my children. And I remember reading this whole book in draft aloud to my wife when we were on vacation. She has a disconcerting habit of falling asleep sometimes when I'm reading to her things that I wrote, but it was very useful to do that. And my former line-by-line editor, whom I worked with for 47 years, died in the midst of this project. But every other book that we had done together over all those years, when we came to the end, we would read the galley proofs to each other. He would read one page, I'd read another. And that way, we seemed to pick up just about every problem that we had missed along the way. It was actually a lot of fun, too, because he was very funny. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Around 10 on a warm September night, the outreach van stopped in the kind of South Boston neighborhood said to be in transition. On one side of the street was a new apartment building, its windows glowing, its sidewalk lit by artful imitations of old-fashioned street lamps. On the other side, in murky light, stood an abandoned loading dock. A heap of blankets lay on the concrete platform. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.